We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best game Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, May the 3rd, 2021. Today's show, I break down a rough weekend in Oxford, Mississippi, as the Gamecocks drop all three games in a series sweep with the Ole Miss Rebels, guys. I'll break down the series in its entirety. We'll talk key takeaways, TSUS Series MVP, Slap Big of the Weekend, who's hot, who's not, what's next for Count of Baseball. Also, I recap the NFL draft, four Gamecocks taken in the NFL draft, including J.C. Horn, Ernest Jones, Shai Smith, Israel McQuamu, and a couple of signings as undrafted free agent guys. We'll take a look at that. Also, news and notes to get into, including big news on the recruiting trail for Shane Beamers. He picks up a four-star quarterback and a defensive back transfer from Washington State. Don Staley continues to crush it. We've got your listener questions as well. And a fantastic conversation. This one goes back all the way to the Armchair All-American days, guys. My good friend, Rob Paul, a.k.a. Bobby Football, of seven rounds in heaven. He talks NFL draft. This guy loves scouting, loves prospects, and absolutely loves the NFL draft, guys. I talk about that, that with him, the Gamecocks, the NFL draft, all that good stuff, guys. we got a packed show. we got a packed show here on a Monday for sure, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating, and packaging for special items and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys. So a Gamecock owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's Upstate Movers group.com be sure to check them out and tell them chris from the spurs up show sent you let's get it
Monday, folks. As happy as it possibly can be after a weekend of getting swept. Hope you're all doing well. Again, I don't want to bring the negative vibes and bring you guys down here to Monday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up Show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show here on a Monday, talking Carolina baseball, of course, the NFL draft. We've got a ton of news and notes to get into. Listener questions and a fantastic conversation as well, guys. Everything you could ask for in a Monday podcast. Again, hope you're doing well. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I'll tell you this, guys. You don't know real pain until you lock yourself in your studio for eight-plus hours just to watch your team lose two games in a day. That, my friends, is the definition of real true pain, especially when all my friends, it seemed like Saturday, it seemed like it seemed like everybody was at the pool. Everybody was enjoying themselves, out and about doing them things. And I'm like, hey, I love what I do. I'm doing my thing. We're live streaming. We felt good. Live stream was very successful, by the way. Thank you to everyone that tuned in to the live stream. Watch along. But sitting there watching your team lose back-to-back games, th- there was pain. I'm not going to lie. That was very, very painful, especially watching us swing the bats. But again, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all tuning in. Extremely grateful for all the love and support, man. You guys rock on what we do. Obviously, on Sunday afternoon, if you didn't see, um, I posted. You know, I I believe in celebrating the small victories, right? I don't know really how big of a deal it is or if it's something that, you know, I even had to post about. But, you know, I was just in the back end of our our, our hosting platform, which is Red Circle. Um, I was in the, the back end of our hosting platform, which just means where I post the podcast to distribute out to all the entities, stuff like that. And I just noticed, you know, we, we joined them in October of 2019, and we just recently in the last couple of days surpassed 400,000 downloads um, on their platform. So, again, celebrate the small victories. I, I think it's a really cool thing, and I just want to say thank you to you guys because, again, without your love and support, and obviously without you guys tuning in, that would not be possible, and it's amazing. And cheers to the next 400,000. And, you know, I'm just really excited, you know, going throughout baseball season, the summer, getting into football stuff, diving into football season, the positive momentum, man. I truly believe in positive momentum. And you know who could use some positive momentum right now? You know who could use it more than anybody? The Gamecocks bats. Let's go ahead and get into it. Old Miss series recap. Let's dive into it. The series in Oxford. Gamecocks go to Oxford, Mississippi in a series that, listen, we knew on the road against a really high-quality Ole Miss team was going to be tough, right? We knew it was going to be tough. But the Gamecocks go there and do what you cannot do. They make an unforgivable sin, which is they get swept. Five to one score on Friday. And of course, another doubleheader. What is it with us in playing doubleheaders? Like, why can we not just play a normal weekend? Three straight weekends with doubleheaders. Come hell or high water this weekend against Mississippi State, you better play a normal weekend. I'm sick of doubleheaders on Saturdays or on Fridays or whatever the hell they are. I'm sick of doubleheaders. By the way, you lose game one Friday night, five to one. You, you amount just two hits in that game. And then Saturday, you drop both, seven to three in that first game, and then six to four in the second. You know, guys, normally for my key takeaways, I have like a long list of notes and stuff like that and things I want to talk about and break down. I have just one bullet point listed. And that bullet point is this. It, it simply was, because we can talk about many, many different things of what went wrong. There's many things that went wrong. But looking back on it, it really just felt like the perfect storm in Oxford. From not being able to swing the bats to defensive miscues to pitching not being quite as sharp. Like, obviously, we all know hitting is the problem, right? We all Look at the statistics. I think South Carolina right now ranks 13th out of 14th SEC teams in hitting. 
I, I mean, bottom line, you rank 13th in the league, and that's just simply not going to get the job done. And it's a damn shame because your ERA is second in the, in the conference. It's a damn shame. But really, when you look at this series, you can put the blame on everybody. <clears throat> you know, a, a lot of different areas did not have a great weekend. But, of course, you got to start with the bats. When you look back at these games, I mean, again, just two hits on Friday. The game one woes continue. Ole Miss jumps up 2-0 after the first inning. You get just the one run in the seventh off the Josiah Seitler solo shot. Then you go to game two. Hey, you scratch out seven hits. But by the time you started hitting the baseball in that one, it was too late. You know, you were already down 7-1. to one. George Khalil gives you, gives you a two-run double in the seventh. But again, too little, too late at that point. And then you go to game three. Seven hits for you, four runs. But hey, you had four runs. Three of them came on one swing. And so when you take a look at this South Carolina lineup, is there hope for the Gamecocks hitters? I, I think that's what a lot of fans want to know. Three SEC series left, and I said this on social media, I'll say it again. I know a lot of fans are hitting the panic button. As you sit here right now, 11 and 10 in SEC play, you got three series to go. But a lot of fans are saying, boom, panic button hit, right? Panic button has been hit. Season's over. We stink. All of your goals are still in front of you. And am I surprised a little bit that we got swept? Yes, but I picked South Carolina to lose two out of three. I knew going into that hornet's nest that was Swayze Field against a desperate Ole Miss team that had lost four series in a row, I just found it hard to believe you were going to go in there and beat them. But honestly, guys, as the Gamecocks sit here now on this Monday, and the rankings by this point have come out, you're probably somewhere between 20 and 25. But as you sit here on this Monday, 11 and 10 in SEC play, I'm not totally shocked where you are with three weekends to go. If you go back in the preseason, I picked the Gamecocks to be, you know, 500 or better in SEC play was the goal. 15 and 15 or better was the goal. Really, 16 and 14 or better is where you want to be. That gives you a really good chance to host. And I told you guys in the preseason, you know, it's going to be an up and down year. The SEC is so good. The quality of teams are so good weekend after weekend after weekend. These teams are going to beat up on each other. Flat out. That's just how it's going to happen. You've got this upper tier of teams like Vandy and Mississippi State and Arkansas, I'd really say that's the upper tier. That's the creme de la creme, if you will, in the SEC. But everybody else in that middle tier is just going to exchange blows, exchange punches weekend after weekend after weekend. And that's what you saw this weekend. So the Gamecocks right now sit 11-10 and 10 in SEC play. And they're one of those scary teams where, you know, they get to the postseason. If South Carolina can find a way at some point to get hot at the plate, this is going to be a really scary and a really dangerous team because they have the pitching. Nobody's going to debate South Carolina does not have the pitching. The Gamecocks have the pitching that are going to give them a chance to win each and every single timeout. There's no question. It all comes back to the bats. But back to my point, I'm not totally shocked where South Carolina is right now at 11 and 10 in SEC play. Now, Again, am I saying that we should be happy being an 11 and 10? Because at one point you were 10 and 5. And you have, you've had two really, really rough weekends in a row. Okay. What happened against Arkansas was forgivable. You lose two out of three to the number one team in the country. That happens. But even as good as Ole Miss is, as I talked to Barstool Mincy about, you heard him say this. In SEC play, 
when you take two of three or lose two of three, even you tread water, right? You keep your head above water. It's the sweeps when you get them and when you get swept that either make your season or kill you. I mean, look at Ole Miss as a perfect example. Guys, they've lost more series than they've won this year. But the series they've won, they swept all three of them. And you can literally create a resume off of that, which is what they're doing. So all of the goals for this team are still in front of them. They're still there. You know, you're 11 and 10 right now. You got three series to go. You got nine games left. And I understand the difficulty of the schedule. And I know I talked about how pivotal the Ole Miss series was. And it was. You've made it a lot tougher on yourself now to host a regional. Because you got Mississippi State and Tennessee. Yes, they're both at home, but those are top five ball clubs. What you've basically assured yourself now, though, is you have, and I mean have, to sweep Kentucky. You absolutely have to. In two weeks, you go to Lexington. You've got to find a way, even if it's on, it's on the road, obviously. Even on the road, you have to find a way to sweep Kentucky. Because your number one goal right now is this, five wins or more. How do we get five wins or more? You got to sweep Kentucky and at minimum lose two of three to Mississippi State and Tennessee. I mean, of course, ideally, you'd like to win those series. That's the goal, of course. And I think this team can certainly do that. But what we saw in Oxford was finally South Carolina's deficiencies got exposed. You know, we can talk about the pitching did this and the defense did that. Again, everyone shares blame in this series sweep. But at some point when you cannot hit and you cannot even threaten to score runs, the dam is going to break. You know, your, your pitching can only do so much. Eventually, your pitching is going to run into a team like Ole Miss that leads the conference in batting average, and they're going to swing it. Ole Miss is a damn good ball club, especially at the plate. They're going to swing it. They're going to hit the baseball. They're going to score runs, especially at their home ballpark. You have got to swing it. Something has to change. One of the big things I saw this weekend at the plate, because, again, a lot of people, again, are asking, Chris, what do you do? Do you just completely change up the lineup? Do you sit some guys? Do you, do you, do you change the philosophy? Do you stop trying to hit so many home runs? What do you do? At this point in the season, you are seven SEC series in. I just don't know how realistic and how feasible it is to completely scrap the approach and do something totally different. I don't know how feasible that is. One of the things I noticed, though, and again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm some professional hitting coach. I was a pitcher, right? But one thing I noticed, especially on Fridays, especially in game ones, right? Why do we struggle so badly to hit in game ones? And tip your cap to Gunnar Hogland, right? He was really good. But at some point, you cannot just say tip your cap every game. At some point, you have to step up and hitters have to pick up the pitchers. They've just got to. They've got to. And what I saw is this. For most of this series, for a lot of this series, I saw a lineup. We are missing good pitches early in counts. We are missing fastballs, guys. And when you're facing a guy like Gunnar Hogland or Doug Nikhazy or any SEC arm on the weekend, when you get to two strikes, you might as well just forget it. I, I mean, honestly. Every now and then you're going to battle and you're going to get a two-strike hit, and that's great. But, I mean, look at the numbers even. I mean, it's common sense. 
The more ahead in the count the pitcher gets, the lower the batting average for the hitter gets. Hey, the better the count for the hitter, the better his batting average. I mean, we've all seen the graphic, I'm sure, the statistics and everything. It's crazy. That's why it's so preached for a pitcher. Hey, get ahead in the count. Throw strikes, yada, yada, yada. We are missing good pitches early in at-bats. And, hey, I am all about get your best swing off. Take a hack, right? Get your money's worth. But, and I don't want to say, like, hey, we should just have a two-strike approach for every pitch. Just go up to the plate with a two-strike approach. I don't want to say that, but we've got to start putting together more competitive ABs. I mean, the pitch counts were low for Ole Miss pitchers. And the problem I have right now offensively, you know, it went, it started out as, oh, God, we're getting guys on and we're not cashing in, right? That, I think that was the story, kind of the LSU series, at least game one. We're getting guys on, we're not cashing in. We're not getting those timely hits. Now we've gotten to a point, bro, we're not even threatening. Like, we're not even making the opposing pitcher throw high-stress pitches. We're not even getting to that point. That is very rarely happening. And as you've seen with this offense, and as you've seen with this lineup, you know, we do tend to live and die by the homer. You know, you look at even the final game. I mean, we scored four runs, but three of those came off one swing of the bat. Granted, it was a mammo shot from Wes Clark, and I had a lot of fun, as you guys probably saw on social media, commentating that. (laughs) But... You know, we're so streaky. We're so hot and cold at the plate right now. We're so streaky. And I love the home run as much as anybody. I do. But when you you take a look at the offensive statistics, because right now I think we're fifth in the conference in home runs, but we're 13th in batting average. There's got to be a better balance there. There has to be. And again, I'm not in that room. I'm not in that dugout. I'm not in that clubhouse with Mark Kingston and Stuart Lake, who's presumably the hitting coach. I'm not in there. So I don't know exactly what they're tell- they are telling our hitters. I don't know what the messaging is there. But at this point, like I said, guys, through seven SEC series, I don't know how much can really change. I mean, the approach is the approach, you know? We've got to do a better job executing. Bottom line, flat out. And just putting together competitive ABs because – you know, it's crazy when, when, you're, when you're swinging at the first pitch and you're popping out, people are saying, oh, be more patient. You know, when you're sitting there taking fastballs, it's like, oh, be more aggressive. You've got to find that happy medium. And again, my biggest thing is this. Do I want us swinging at every single first pitch? No, I don't, because that's just helping out the opposing pitcher. That's giving him quick innings. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, it is early in counts that we are missing good pitches to hit. And at this level, and really any level, but especially the higher you go up, when you get a good pitch to hit, you better not miss it. Because, again, a guy like Gunnar Hoglund, a guy like Doug Nikhazy, they get you down 0-2-1-2, you might as well just forget about it. Their breaking stuff is good enough to put you away. That is why they are in that position. But for whatever reason right now, we are missing mistakes. You know, watching, I don't want to single him out. But David Mendham, and I saw this from multiple guys, but I just remember vividly in game three, I think it was the top of the ninth. Count gets to 3-1, okay? Taylor Edwards is on the bump, which I'm so glad I don't want to see him pitch again. Taylor Edwards is on the bump, though, okay? 3-1 count, a man on second in a two-run ball game, okay? You are the tying run at the plate. 
It is 3-1. He does not want to walk you and bring the winning run to the plate. What pitch do you think he's going to throw? He's throwing a fastball. 110% he's throwing a fastball, and what happens? 93, and David Mendham fouls it off. I'm not sitting here saying that hitters don't miss every now and then. It happens, right? But in that type of situation, we've just simply got to do a better job of when, hey, when it's a favorable count, especially when it's a favorable count, and that pitcher throws you a fastball, you've got to hit it. You've got to connect. Bottom line, we are missing too many good pitches right now. And it's not like, we're, I mean, granted, all those arms for Ole Miss, really, really talented, really good. I do not want to make it light like, like we're just facing some scrubs and we're missing pitches. We're facing some top arms, but so is everybody else. And at some point, when Gunnar Hogland throws you a fastball, you got to be ready to hit it. I, I think the issues, guys, again, we can talk about approach and mechanics and that's all fine and dandy, but I think most of the struggles come back to mental. I think they come back to mental because here's the thing. All of our guys can hit a fastball. You would not be at this level if you couldn't hit one. Bottom line. You wouldn't have been recruited to South Carolina if you couldn't hit a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. You just wouldn't. Those are the facts. You would not be playing for the University of South Carolina if you could not hit a fastball. I think it's mental. I think we've got guys pressing at the plate. I think we've got guys second-guessing themselves. And I don't know what it's going to take. Again, that's something that only these guys in the locker room, only these guys in the clubhouse know. Something's just got to be shaken up, though. You know, I, I loved the energy this team was playing with early in the season where it was loosey-goosey and it was fun and it was kind of laid back and, and sort of a bunch of jokesters, if you will. And that's easy to be that way when you're winning games, right? It's easy to be that way. I understand that. You're not going to be joking around and cutting up when you're losing two out of three or getting swept. But I think that would honestly benefit this team. Because, again, it just it, – watching us in the batter's box, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And if we feel that way, if I feel that way, I know they feel that way. Hey, guys, listen. Hey, you feel bad about it? You're pissed off? You're bothered by the hitting. Those guys in the clubhouse, I promise you, feel it 10 times, 100 times worse than you do. Trust me. They're the ones up there going through it. So please don't make, you know, that's one of the terrible narratives I've seen from not many fans, just, just a couple of brain-dead people that want to say that we're not playing with energy, we're not trying, we're not fired up to play, we're not focused. Please stop. Please stop. Please don't, please don't, confuse lack of execution for lack of want to, okay? I, I, I do not question this team's effort, this team's toughness, this team's mental fortitude. I, I don't question any of that. The execution's not there, but please don't question the want to. We're not losing game ones because we're not ready to go and we're not fired up. That is the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. I've seen nothing of the sort that would back that up. But... As a team, I mean, I'm, I'm putting it all in the hitters right now. I, I understand that because most of the blame does fall on them. Let's face it. But, hey, like I said, guys, you weren't great in the field either. You had two errors in game one, and you had a clean Saturday. Give them credit. But defensively, things weren't great. Hey, on the bump, your starters were not that good. You know, five innings for Thomas Farr, seven hits, five runs, four earned. He had five walks and five Ks. 
Sure, he kept in the ball game, but he didn't set the tone like he needed to. Brandon Jordan, I don't know what it is with BJ, man, but every hit he gives up seems like it leaves the yard. He went five innings, four hits, four runs, four earned, four walks, four strikeouts. Not his best stuff. Then you look at Will Sanders. Big fan of Big Willie, but two innings, five hits, four runs, four earned, one walk, two strikeouts. I mean, all around, nobody had a good weekend, man. It was hard to pick TSUS Series MVP, to be totally honest with you. Nobody had a good weekend. But now, there is still season to play. Hey, don't listen to the people on Twitter. Don't listen to the people, you know, jumping ship, hitting the panic. But, oh, season's over. What if Florida would have said that when we swept them? What if Florida would have said the season was over? Guess what? They're ahead of you in the standings now. As I speak right now, the season's not over, guys. You had a bad weekend. Good teams have bad weekends. Am I saying this team doesn't have a bevy of issues that it needs to fix? It certainly does. Of course it does. We have eyes, don't we? We have functioning brains. We see this team has problems. But I still think this is a quality ball club. I really do. I really do. And you sit now at 11 and 10. You're at a crossroads. You got to find yourself. You got to find yourself quickly. Because all of a sudden, you go from talks of hosting a regional to, damn, we're just fighting to get in the postseason. And hosting is still on the table, in my opinion. Hey, you sweep Kentucky. You avoid a sweep in one of the two against Mississippi State and Tennessee, and you take two out of three in one. Hey, guess what? You finish the season six and three. You're 17 and 13 in SEC play, and boom, you're a host. It's possible. It can happen. It's not that outlandish. But you got to figure it out the play. You got to figure it out all, all around. So whatever this team's got to do, come together in the clubhouse, cut off the lights, go crazy, sing kumbaya, whatever they got to do. Something's got to be shaken up, though. Something's got to be shaken up. And baseball, here's the thing, guys. Baseball's not a sport where, at least I feel, you can make these drastic wholesale changes in the sense of, you know, Again, like I said, you're seven SEC series in. Baseball is just kind of a game where you're going to succeed, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail more than you succeed. You just are, right? It's a game of failure. It's about how do you respond to said failure? How do you respond to adversity? Again, it was the perfect storm in Oxford from lack of offensive production. Your starters didn't have it. Your starting pitchers weren't nearly as sharp as normal. Defensively, you had miscues. I mean, hell, even in the final game, Hey, Brady Allen ties it up. You got momentum. All of a sudden, what happens? Umpire gets hit in the face. You got a 30-minute, 20-minute delay. Brett Carey comes out, doesn't look like the same Brett Carey. I mean, it just, it just was not your weekend. And in a, in a, in a, in a baseball season, you're going to run into weekends where it's not your weekend. Hey, sometimes you're going to sweep. Sometimes you're going to win two out of three. Sometimes it's just not going to be your weekend, guys. Sometimes it's not. And hey, next weekend might be your weekend. You might go sweep Mississippi State. Who knows? I mean, I know that might sound crazy to you guys right now, the way we feel right now, but that's why baseball, you play so many games because you can't judge a team off just solely one weekend. You just can't do it. Are there issues that have to be fixed ASAP? Absolutely. Many issues. But I'm not jumping ship on this team yet. You're at a crossroads. Bottom line. Gauntlet 2.0, boy, you're in the middle of it. You're in the trenches right now. And you got three weekends left to make something of your season. I mean, really. Again, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I feel like we've been saying this 
you know, the last two weekends or last two weeks. But these last three series are going to determine your season. You're either going to be, you're going to overcome adversity and respond the right way. And, you know, you're going to finish with five, six, or seven wins or eight wins. Who knows? You're going to finish this thing off the right way. And you're going to lock up a postseason bid, maybe even a host, or you're going to crumble. And this season will be remembered not for the way you started, not for the hot start, not for sweeping Florida, not for all the good you did, but it'll be remembered for how you crumble down the stretch. And again, I don't expect that from this ball club. This team has good leadership. This team has veterans on it that will keep this group together. Hey, you got punched in the mouth. So what? So what? You went into a hostile environment at Swayze, a sold-out crowd in Oxford. You got beat. Hey, the best do. The best get beat every now and then. That's fine. You got beat. The question now is how do you respond to it? How do you figure out what do you do at the plate? What do you do on the mound? What do you do defensively? As a whole, as a collective, as a team, how do you respond? All right, let's move into TSUS Series MVP, guys. And again, this one was tough to pick. Um, it was between two guys for me, though, and both pitchers. I want to go, though, John Gilreath. John Gilreath on uh, Friday night, three innings pitch, two hits, no runs, no earned, no walks, and two strikeouts. And I want to give it to John because – Mark Kingston mentioned this as well, but that was probably the best we've seen John Gilreath look since he got on campus. I mean, really good stuff. And I thought what was important about John's outing is he really saved the bullpen for you. I thought he did a really good job of saving the bullpen and, and conserving pitchers and conserving arms to give you a chance on Saturday. So, again, John Gilreath for me, TSUS Series MVP, great stuff from the young lefty. Again, three innings pitch, two hits, no runs, no earns, no walks, and two strikeouts. So let's move guys into slap dick of the weekend. And this one actually goes off of the baseball field. And, you know, some of you may not like me saying this, but whatever, but the slap big of the weekend goes to Darius Rucker. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because I'm sure as you guys noticed in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence gets taken number one overall. Who is at his house? None other than Darius Rucker. Maybe the most famous alumni, we have probably the most famous alumni, is spotted chilling laughing, cutting up with Dabo Sweeney. Listen, I know why he's there. I understand his agency representing Trevor Lawrence, all that stuff, whatever, but just have a feel, Darius. Like, just a terrible look. A terrible look. And I know something that hurt Gamecock fans' souls, including mine. So, again, slap big of the weekend. Darius Rucker, I'm sorry. You earned it. All right, let's move into who's hot, who's not, guys. And this one's really interesting. It's a very interesting addition to who's hot, who's not, because who's hot? The Carolina Southpaws. How about Julian Bosnick and John Gilreath this weekend? A combined five and two-thirds innings pitched, two hits, no runs, no earn, and five strikeouts. Again, your lefty's doing a great job for you. Already talked about Gilreath, what he did on Friday. And then Bosnick in game three. I mean, he's been dominant out of the bullpen. He's been really, really, really good for you, a guy that you watch him. Again, he doesn't throw 100. But it's just so deceptive in the way that he hides the baseball into the last second. That ball jumps on you, explodes out of his hand. Um, but again, the Southpaws doing great things for you. Again, five and two thirds any of this weekend. Two hits, no runs, no earned, five strikeouts. Again, as a, as a fellow lefty myself, I just love to see it. Again, who's not? And this one is wild. Who is not? Who's the who's not of the year, we should say? The hot corner, third base. Three different games, three different starters. Mark Kingston has no clue what he wants to do with third base. A combination of Brennan Malone, Michael Robinson, and Joe Satterfield, when it combined, 
0 for 8 with three strikeouts. I mean, I've been saying it all season. I guess I'm just wasting my time. I'm wasting my breath. Pick one guy. Pick one guy. Because obviously, changing them out every game is not working. Just pick one. I'd rather see Brennan Malone go 0 for the season than keep shuffling them in and out. Like, it's just absurd. So, again, the hot corner, maybe the who's not of the season, honestly. What's next for Carolina Baseball? Tomorrow night against North Florida in the midweek, and then, of course, this weekend, series against Mississippi State, the Bulldogs, coming to town for a three-game set again. We all know what's up for Carolina. I mean, a a top-five team coming to Founders Park. And I, I could say, oh, it's a pivotal series. They're all pivotal. They're all important at this point. So, again, a huge series at Founders Park. Going to need the Rowdy Roosters out in full force. But, again, Tuesday against North Florida. Weekend series in Columbia against Mississippi State. Going to be an extremely important week. How does South Carolina baseball bounce back this week? Going to be interesting to see. All right. That's going to do it, guys, for the Ole Miss series. Let's move into football stuff. The NFL draft happening over the weekend. First thing, why the hell does the NFL draft start so late? on Thursday and Friday. Like, there is no need for us to be up till midnight watching the draft. NFL, ESPN, get it together. It's just ridiculous. Like, why does it take four hours to make 32 picks? Just crazy. Either way, whatever. I guess it's good for TV. Um, The NFL draft, just going over the picks. Of course, J.C. Horn picked eighth overall by the Carolina Panthers. Ernest Jones going third round, 103rd overall to the L.A. Rams. Shai Smith falling all the way to the sixth round, 204th overall to the Carolina Panthers. And then Israel McQuamu, sixth round, 227th overall to the Dallas Cowboys. The undrafted free agent signings as well to this point. Sedarius Hutcherson signing with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Adam Prentice signing with the Denver Broncos. And Colin Hill, former Gamecocks quarterback, signing with the Cincinnati Bengals. Overall, a really successful draft. And I want to talk first about that J.C. Horn pick. You know, obviously it's really cool to see Gamecocks go to Charlotte, to go to Carolina, and kind of stay local, if you will. And uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, they're, they're creating a pipeline straight from Columbia to Charlotte. It's wild. But J.C. Horn, that pick went much earlier than I expected. I mean, listen, I thought he was going to be 10th overall, 12th overall, something like that, either to the Cowboys or to the Eagles. But he goes 8th overall to Carolina. And uh, he and Shai Smith both, which is really, really cool to see. But you just can't say enough how much having a top 10 pick like that does for Shane Beamer and his football program. I mean, it's just, it's one big commercial, right? Like when you're watching the draft and you see that Carolina logo flash and you see his highlights and they talk about him and stuff like that, and you see that block C, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Um, Ernest Jones, love to see where he got picked. I think he's going to be a great NFL player, a guy who has a relentless motor. And I've talked about before, guys, was the heart and soul of that defense last year. I was shocked absolutely shocked how far Shai Smith fell. And I know I saw some people that were going back and forth and debating on social media about, you know, his attitude issues and was that the reason he fell, was it not? Either way, there are not that many receivers better than Shai Smith. I mean, to me, to fall to the sixth round, the Panthers got to steal. There's no question. The Panthers got to steal. And I think they're going to be very, very happy with the production they get out of said Shai Smith. I mean, it's, it's going to be – I think he's going to have an incredible career in the NFL. Um, all of these guys, really. And then Israel McQuamu, sixth round, Dallas Cowboys. I think the thing that hurt Izzy the most was did not run a 40 at Pro Day and came into this draft, I think, a little bit hurt, 
still nursing the injury from South Carolina. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do at the next level, obviously. Um, six foot four, the frame speaks for itself, and a guy that, you know, has that advantage. But, uh, you know, overall, I would say a very successful NFL draft for the Gamecocks. I, I think we're all expecting J.C. Horn to flourish, to have a one hell of an NFL career, and again, to see him with the Panthers. It's going to be really fun to watch. Again, there's, I know there's a lot of you tuned in that are Carolina Panthers fans. And, uh, you know, I'm someone – I'm not a big NFL guy, but the pipeline for South Carolina to the NFL, again, it, that's, that's one thing you can say. That previous staff, that previous regime, they had no problems developing talent and getting into the NFL. The one thing I was surprised about, I really thought Sedarius Hutcherson would get drafted. I think he's going to have a long career in the NFL, really, really good player. Um, you know, Adam Prentice, again, goes to the Broncos, kind of that local signing, if you will, at fullback. And then, dude, it's so funny. So funny. To see, to see the reaction to, to Colin Hill getting signed by the Bengals, man. I tell you what, Gamecock fans, Gamecock fans despise Colin Hill. And I don't know if it's because he just wasn't good or because he practically stole Ryan Helinski's job. But either way, Carolina fans are not very fond of Colin Hill. And again, that's a conversation for a whole separate show. Again, the Colin Hill, Ryan Helinski, Mike Bobo thing. We could spend hours on hours on hours talking about that, but I will spare you guys here on this Monday. But again, a very successful NFL draft for the Gamecocks. You love to see it. And again, really, really great for the University of South Carolina and the program as Shane Beamer looks to sell it and looks to build this thing. Speaking of Shane Beamer and speaking of the program and good news involving the Gamecocks program, as we move into news and notes, South Carolina got a lot of good news over the weekend, and it started really on Friday with two commits, not one, but two, jumping on to the Gamecock bandwagon. And it started, of course, with four-star quarterback Braden Davis committing to South Carolina out of Delaware. You know, it's crazy to see this Delaware to South Carolina connection. We've now had Marshawn Lloyd. We've had Debo Williams. Now Braden Davis. I don't know, man. Delaware is becoming a hotbed for the Gamecocks. But, uh, you love to see it. Four-star quarterback, class of 2022, the fifth-ranked dual-threat quarterback in the country for the 2022 class. And the thing that more intrigues me, guys, is this. When I take a look at this commitment, yes, I'm very excited for him. Yes, I, you know, I've watched some film. He looks good, all that, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's going to be a while before he's on campus, right? So I'm not, like, going crazy. He's got to put pen to paper, all that good stuff. But what more so I take away from this and what I'm intrigued about is – you know, excluding Jason Brown because he's a grad transfer. And, you know, you could really say this is the first quarterback commitment for Shane Beamer as Gamecocks head coach. And I'm always just intrigued to see, okay, what is the direction they want to go with the quarterback position? Do they want to go with more pocket passers? Do they want to go with, with dual threat guys? Do they want to go with pure scramblers? Like, what is the direction of that position? Because I thought with the previous regime, and again, I hate to compare even what we're doing now to that, but just to have that comparison, there was a lot of confusion for me and I'm sure many others because you would sign a couple of guys that were pocket passers and then you sign a couple of guys that are dual threat and you're like, okay, what are we trying to do with this position? What is our goal here? And so you look at Braden Davis, a true dual threat quarterback, can do it both. And what it tells me is that, okay, Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, they are embracing that, hey, you need a guy that can beat you with both his arm and his legs. We are going to incorporate and run that spread offense that they had at Oklahoma that I think, again, you need in college football to be successful, especially at a place like South Carolina. 
So that really intrigued me. And again, of course, like I said, getting a guy like this, a four-star quarterback and a big-time quarterback commit for your 2022 class, which will be the first full class, the first real recruiting class for Shane Beamer. When you've got a guy like a Braden Davis, when you got a big-time quarterback guy, a big-time quarterback commit leading the class, that's always big. Now he can serve as the leader of said class. Say, hey, come play with me. Hey, guys, good players want to play with other good players. So I think you can't overstate the value, how important it is to lock this guy down early and to get this commitment. A guy that had offers from all the best schools. I mean, this guy had offers basically everywhere. So, again, great job by Shane Beamer and staff. Great job by Gamecocks football to lock this dude in. Four-star quarterback, Braden Davis. And I talked about after Trevor Lawrence got drafted, the importance of the position. And when will the Gamecocks have their next dude, if you will, right? Who's going to be the next dude? Is it Doty? Is it Brown? Could it be Braden Davis? Maybe it's a guy like Braden Davis, a dual-threat guy. He comes in, you know, again, fifth-ranked dual-threat quarterback in the entire country for the class of 2022. Not a bad pickup for Shane Beamer and company. Also in good news, you got immediate help. I mean, this helps you tremendously. Washington State transfer defensive back Tyrese Ross announcing his commitment to the Gamecocks. Overall, like I said, guys, that is a huge shot in the arm for a team that, as we all know, the defensive backfield, the back half of that defense, is the number one question mark going into this season. And a guy in 2019 had about 40 tackles or so opted out of 2020, but again, you need bodies at this point. You just need quality depth. And I think a guy like Tyrese Ross, is he going to start immediately? I don't know, but without a doubt, he's going to play. Without a doubt, he will play for you. And again, I think he's got a really good chance to come in and compete for the starting job because opposite of Cam Smith, I don't really know who your other guy is. Is, is, it, is it Joey Hunter? Is it Dominic Hill? I, I don't know. I think a guy like Tyrese Ross, will give you, will come in and compete and have the opportunity to win that job. He's going to give you that quality depth. So really excited for that. Again, a really successful Friday and a successful weekend for Shane Beamer on the recruiting trail. You know who else had a successful weekend recruiting? Dawn Staley. Guys, the women's team next year literally might be unbeatable. We might not lose a game. Dawn Staley picking up a commitment from Camilla Cardoso, grad transfer from Syracuse. Guys, this chick is six foot seven. What the actual hell? She's six foot seven. Was ACC freshman of the year or like conference player, or whatever. Guys, we're talking about a team for Dawn Staley. They return every single player. Every player is coming back from a team that went to the Final Four. And you're bringing the number one recruiting class in the country. And you're bringing in a girl that's six foot seven from Syracuse. Literally, go ahead and book your tickets next year to the national title. Like, literally go ahead and book the flights. I mean, why, why be coy about it? Why, why be shy? Go ahead and book them. Go ahead and buy your tickets. I, we literally might lose, lose to no one. I don't give a damn. UConn, Stanford, it doesn't matter. This team Dawn Staley's bringing back might be like the best women's basketball team of all time. It, it's insane. So, ho-hum, Dawn Staley and company, they keep it moving. Uh, final note really quickly, Gamecocks do make the top six for 2022 four-star defensive lineman, Nick James. And again, it just keeps rolling for Shane Beamer, man. You're starting to see more of these pop up, top sixes, top tens, whatever. Does it really mean anything? I, you know, I don't know. It, it, like I said, you guys know how I operate in recruiting. I don't let myself get, 
get overhyped, if you will, because realistically, it doesn't mean anything until the kid puts pen to paper. But with that being said, it is very exciting to see this happening for South Carolina. I think you're starting to see the recruiting momentum pick up. And as we go and we get closer to this season, and if you have some success, especially early, I think it can only help for Shane Beamer's first full recruiting class in Columbia. All right, that's going to do it, guys. Let's get into your listener questions, and we'll get into our interview. Got just a couple of questions here. B underscore Robert Ori says, honestly, as much as I don't like how Champ overplayed Hill, good for him getting a shot. Yeah, dude, listen, I have no problems with Colin Hill. Don't blame Colin Hill for the decision that Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp made. And again, this is, just, this, this is a conversation I could spend an entire podcast talking about. I got no issues with Colin Hill, man. I, I do. And again, a lot of people want to bring up the Ryan Helinski thing. Like I said, we could talk an entire separate podcast about that and about what happened between those two. But I got no issues with Colin Hill, man. He came in, played for his home state school, gave him all he had. I mean, a guy that, you know, three ACL injuries. I mean, he didn't have to come play. He didn't have to play at all, but he did. So I got nothing against Colin Hill. I wish him the best. I wish him the best. On that note, Matt11306 says, how long until Colin Hill beats out Burrow for QB1? <laughs> Joe Burrow, might as well just go ahead and retire. Colin Hill's coming for your job. Uh, Krusty Andy says, favorite bourbon? That's a great question. I mean, I'm really simple, man. I'm a Jack Daniels guy. I even like Jim Beam. I mean, if we're talking expensive bourbon, though, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't had a ton of expensive bourbon to, to compare and contrast. I mean, I, I, I like it all. I'm, I'm not very picky, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what that makes me. Uh, I do like Crown Royal. I like Maker's Mark, like Johnny Walker Black Label. But, I mean, I, I'm really not – I'm not picky. I'll be honest with you. So, you pour it up, I'll drink it, my friend. Uh, last question. Turner Rice, 26. What are your thoughts on Darius Rucker being at Trevor Lawrence's house on draft night? Yeah, like I mentioned, slap dig of the weekend. I mean, listen, I understand why he was there. Do I hate Darius Rucker for it? No, like it is what it is. But, oh, man, it's just such a shitty look. Like, come on, Darius. Like, we got enough to worry about. We got enough to deal with. You really got to do this to us, too? Come on. Uh, actually, one last question here from Twitter. And it comes from our friend Adam Ritter, a Adam Panic Button Ritter. Ritter is leading the Panic Button Charge, in case you want to join. Now, nah, Ritter, I love you. Seriously, I know you're probably tuned in. Much love to you. I love to pick at you, though. Uh, ARIT19 on Twitter says, how come our hitters can hit against crappy teams while we're struggling against SEC pitching? We were 10-5, and 5, now 11-10. and 10. Panic button. He literally typed out panic button. The irony. You know, we're just, we're not making the adjustment, man. Like I said, we are missing too many good pitches early in the count, and we're getting into bad counts, and those top arms are making us pay for it. So, hey, against the elite arms, you got to take advantage early. You got to hit them early in the count. You cannot let them get to two strikes. A guy like Gunnar Hogland, a guy like what you'll see against Mississippi State, you get to 0-2-1-2, forget about it. It's over. It's done. Same thing goes with our guys. Hey, Thomas Farr, Brandon Jordan, and Will Sanders, they get you in an 0-2 count, 1-2? Shit. Forget it. Forget it. You're done. You got to hit the good pitches early. He throws a – I mean, you're going to get a fastball every at-bat. And, hey, every now and then, a pitcher's going to locate one. He's going to get you, and you say, you know what? I tipped my cat. He has a hell of a pitch. Not much I could have done with it. But those aren't the pitches I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pitches that are down the middle. 
in, in hitters counts that we know a fastball is coming. You got to hit those. That's the biggest problem I'm seeing right now amongst a host of others. But that's the one that's the most easily fixed. I think you got to take advantage. You got to take advantage in those hitters counts. So appreciate listener questions, guys. All right, let's dive into our conversation, dive into our interview, guys. I'm really excited. I know you guys have probably never heard of him, and that's totally fine. But I promise you, if you go follow him on social media, if you go follow this dude on social media, you go listen to his show again. He's at Rob underscore underscore Paul. I think it's at Rob underscore Paul. Whatever. Bobby Football, though, on Twitter. You know, there are people that love football and they love the NFL draft and they love prospects and they love diving into the film. This dude, there aren't many that love it more than this dude. I mean, I, I follow this dude's Twitter very closely. I'm like, I don't know how this dude keeps up with all these prospects. And like, this guy loves watching, big film guy, loves watching film, loves watching film. Hey, man, you want to go to the pool? You want to go hang out here? Go do this? No, nah, I mean, I'm watching film. That's this guy. Rob Paul, a.k.a. Bobby Football. He's the host of the show Seven Rounds in Heaven. Really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, we had a great conversation about the NFL draft, where all of our guys went, how he projects them, how he grades the picks. And, uh, yeah, we talk about that. Great stuff, man, talking Gamecocks football. So, again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Great conversation coming up. It's all brought to you by our friends at manscaped guys flowers are blooming the grass is growing it's time to chop the weeds thanks to our sponsor manscaped you can trim your holes safely and efficiently i'm talking about ball trimmers guys manscaped the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming have an exclusive offer for our audience use the promo code tsus to get 20 percent off plus free shipping at manscaped.com guys join the other two million men who trust manscaped they're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice after all it is time for some spring cleaning, guys. Spring is sprung, and Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. We've all been there, right? We're trimming up. We're cutting up. We're getting ourselves ready, whatever. And we cut ourselves. We nick ourselves. We're bleeding. It stings. It hurts. No bueno. It's no good. Get rid of that, Eddie. Get that out of your lives, guys. Leave that in 2020. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's blow the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products, guys. They're here to help you with your above-the-waist holes as well. Guys, have you heard of the Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Guys, no more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. That is a mouthful, guys. I'm going to try that again. 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. That, I mean, that's just a lot. That's a lot. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering a maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Speaking of incredible hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day, guys. The Crop Preserver, you need it. It's an anti-chaving ball deodorant moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside. It really is. It's starting to get like pool days. It's hot in the city. The Crop Preserver is crucial, guys. So your ball stops sticking to your leg. That's legit the worst. No bueno. You're also going to find the Crop Reviver. Spray-on toner for your balls, which will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And, guys, speaking of smelling fresh, complete your grooming game this spring with a new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. Guys, this stuff is legit, and it'll have you smelling like royalty. The cologne is light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. You'll be the talk of the next quarantine hang. Guys, smell good, feel good this spring. Get 20% off in free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped. 
Com, guys, it's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Guys, have a great rest of your Monday. Now, enjoy this conversation with Rob Paul, a.k.a. Bobby Football of Seven Rounds in Heaven. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, very excited, guys, an old armchair All-Americans connection. If you do remember way back in the day, it wasn't always the Spurs Up show. We used to be Armchair South Carolina, part of Armchair All-Americans, and a friend of mine and a connect that I made through that, Rob Paul, a.k.a. Bobby Football, as he's known on Twitter, is the host of the Seven Rounds in Heaven podcast, which talks everything NFL draft, prospects, all that good stuff. And obviously with the NFL draft happening over the weekend and a bunch of Gamecocks being signed, whether it's undrafted free agents or obviously being drafted in the first couple of rounds, I thought what better way to break it down and talk about it. Hey, we all love a good excuse to talk football. So wanted to bring him on. And guys, if you go follow his Twitter feed, he's at Rob underscore underscore Paul. You are going to see a plethora of tweets where you know, a lot of us have hobbies and things we like to do outside of sports. And, you know, we'll, we'll go to the pool. We'll go to the mall. We'll do this. We'll do that. I think this dude does nothing but sit there and watch film all day long. That's the only explanation for how he can, he can know about every single prospect that was taken in the 2021 NFL draft. I'm pretty sure you graded every prospect literally that was taken. Again, Rob Paul, though, a.k.a. Bobby Football, host of the Seven Rounds in Heaven podcast. Rob, I appreciate you taking the time. And it's a pleasure to have you on. Really excited to chat with you here today. Well, thanks for having me. I really like this group of South Carolina prospects this year. Um, and uh, that was quite the in- in- introduction, so I appreciate that. Yeah, Rob, I'm not even done yet either because I want to talk about the Gamecocks prospects and everything that happened in the 2021 NFL draft. But I first want to ask you, like I was telling you off air, you know, there are tons of guys, the Mel Kuypers, the Schefters, the everybody of the world that cover the NFL draft, that talk about this thing. I mean, you go on Twitter, social media – tons of people that that talk about prospects and stuff like that but like i told you the reason i wanted to get you on is you go look at your social media and the way that you cover it i'm curious like what got you into this because i love sports i love football i don't love it enough to go watch like there was a d3 offensive lineman that got drafted like who is this guy like i don't love it enough to go watch that guy's film right like what got you into it what got you interested obviously you love the game of football but kind of where did it start for you where you're like, you know what, I want to be an NFL draft guy. I want to be a guy that watches film and that breaks down prospects. Basically, you know, for a living, I would I feel like that's probably what you do, eat, breathe, sleep 24-7. So basically, I, I fell in love with the NFL draft probably 2006, 2007 as a kid. And then from there, I obviously, I started playing football. Wasn't the greatest athlete, so I had to kind of make up for that by – just understanding the game. Mm-hmm. And then from there, just, I don't know. I, I Mike Mayock, who's now the Raiders GM, used to be on NFL Network as their draft analyst. And he was someone I looked up to and I'd watch everything he did. And then I just, I don't know, probably films become so much more accessible to people like me who aren't in truly in the scouting community. And mm-hmm. there's, there's, it, it's kind of developed as a community itself on draft Twitter, which can be toxic at times. Draft but... Twitter. There, there's a Twitter for everything in there. I mean, it's just like crazy. Yes. <laughs> and from there, I don't know. I just, I, I love kind of tweeting out clips and then you'll see some of the bigger people will throw my clips in their articles. And it's just like a helping hand to show people who are reading these articles, what exactly is going on with these prospects. And uh, I don't know. I just really love football. Um, I don't, 
tend to get too much into other sports outside of me being from Canada, the Raptors. But uh, so I, I pretty much put all my time, free time, into watching tape. That I'm telling you, there's nothing better than having a cup of coffee, having some random lineman from who knows where's tape on, and then kind of figuring out, hey, this guy can play and he might do something. And next thing you know, he – Quinn Miners, who went in the third round of the Broncos uh, on Friday night, he was a guy who I, I found his tape over the summer. That's the D3 playing. guy, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Up, Had the ridiculous him. workout film of like yes. taking down trees and shit. Like it was insane. I ended up having him on our podcast uh, last summer. And then obviously Wisconsin Whitewater didn't have a season because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But he ends up at the Senior Bowl only because Landon Dickerson got hurt. So he was a replacement. He ends up killing it at the senior bowl, ends up becoming a third round pick and everybody loves this guy. And I, I don't know, it's just kind of a cool feeling to know. I was kind of in there maybe a little earlier than some people and right. uh, great kid too. So, yeah. This is kind of random off the wall, Rob, but I'll ask you like when you watch the NFL draft, I know a lot of us are like, we, we watch the draft and, you know, it's interesting. You look in the NFL, like not everybody went to an SEC school. You know, we love to think that and believe that. And obviously the SEC dominates the draft every single year. But like you see this kid at a D3 school or you see the guy from Northern Iowa or, or schools you've never even heard of. Like I know recruiting and development is different for everybody, but how do prospects like that that are NFL caliber players, how do they fall to these schools? Like how – I mean, again, I know there's a lot of development that goes from a man, young man, 18 to 22 that, you know, through college, but like, can you explain like, cause it just, you would think like, I, I think the, the common fan that's not as in-depth and as t- in tune with it as you are, or many others would say, you know, why did we not recruit this guy? Like, oh my God, like Josh Norman goes to coastal. Why the hell didn't South Carolina sign him? Like, can you explain like, is it just, there's that much development in college or does it come back to there's that much more projectability at the next level versus like maybe he's not a great college player, but he has the build and the projectability to be a really good NFL player. So there's, there's a couple of factors with that. Uh, one of them is honestly accessibility and it's gotten better now, but if you're a offensive lineman playing like quad a football in the middle of Nebraska, maybe the right people aren't seeing you like, right maybe Nebraska Omaha is seeing you and you're Danny Woodhead and you end up playing D three football because you're not quite big enough. And a lot of, again, a lot with recruiting, they look at a kid and they look at his body. A lot of the time they look at your wrist, they'll look at your neck to see how much of more you could grow into your frame. And if you look kind of maxed out and maybe you're five, 10, 160 and you play receiver and you run a four, eight and, Maybe you end up going to, I don't know, South Dakota State and you become Cade Johnson, who just signed undrafted with the Seahawks, one of the biggest steals uh, of the undrafted uh, market. But because you don't run fast enough, you're not big enough, like SEC schools aren't going to waste their time looking at tiny high schools where right. maybe the school's not that good and the kids aren't that fast. Like, for, for example, like South, South Carolina is going to stay in the South. They're going to recruit the South. They're going to recruit right. the big high schools in the South. I mean, they're, they're going to, especially high school coach connections is huge. Mm-hmm. So if the, if there's a kid who maybe he's dominating this lower level of high school football, but his coach doesn't know anyone, they're not that good. 
no one's going to really want to spend the, the recruiting money and those hours on that kid. But let's say he ends up kind of hitting a, like Trey Lance, for example, goes third overall. He he's from Minnesota. He played high school football and dominated high school football, but it's in Minnesota. Minnesota wanted to recruit him as a safety because they look at him and they don't think he's got like it isn't accurate enough. So he ends up in North Dakota state ends up in a great program at the FCS level where they can develop him. And they have a history of putting quarterbacks in the NFL and just kind of everything clicking. There's just so much going into right. it, right? There's a million high school <clears throat> football players in, in America. So it's just so hard to hit on everyone and find like, think about how many five stars don't actually end up becoming first round picks too. Right. right? Yeah. Just Good so point. much goes into it. It's just, it's, it's an impossible science and it's the same thing once they're drafted, even think about how many busts there are. Like a guy could, could have it everything and go 10th overall and be out of the league in three years or whatever, just mm-hmm. because not everything clicks and not everybody has like so much of it is mental. Not everybody has the, maybe the love to put every waking second into the game. Some like, people love the game and others love what the game can do for them. Exactly. That's the perfect way to say it. Yeah, no, for sure. On that note, Rob, let's talk about this NFL draft, 2021 NFL draft wrapping up, wrapping up over the weekend. Um, Gamecocks having four players selected. And those are the guys I really want to focus on. JC Horn, Ernest Jones, Shai Smith, and Israel McCallman. We'll just go down the list. Of course, we got to start first rounder, JC Horn, a top 10 pick. Eighth overall to the Carolina Panthers, and a guy, again, listen, crushed it at the pro day. Um, a guy who, it's funny, by his own fan base, had, according to, to, to many, a mixed bag of results at South Carolina just because he didn't put up the numbers because the ball wasn't thrown his way. I mean, didn't have an interception until his junior year, but obviously for anybody who watched the film, like I'm sure you did, anybody who watched these games understood, hey, the ball's not going his way because he is eliminating that side of the field. But either way, a top 10 pick, you know, Rob, I thought he was probably going to go either 10th to the Cowboys or 12th to the Eagles, going 8th overall, though. And it's especially cool when you see South Carolina guys go to the Carolina Panthers, stay local, that that Gamecock to to Charlotte connection. I don't know. I think there's something there because you had two guys in this draft go there. You already had a couple of guys there right now. But talk about J.C. Horn, his game overall. I actually have your tweet – or I did have it pulled up. Here we go. I have your tweet pulled up. It says – Gets to play for his dad's old rival, the biggest alpha in the class who bullies wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. Press man stud who has the attitude you love in a cornerback, ball skills, click and close, clean feet, and always attacking ball carriers. He has everything, and you gave it an A grade. So talk about that pick. J.C. Horn to Carolina, what do you like about that? And what do you like about J.C. Horn as a prospect and a guy who translates to the next level? So I'm with you in that I, I was a little surprised he went eighth. I thought, yeah, Cowboys 10 would have made sense. I'm happy Carolina took him eighth. I know they uh, obviously everyone's going to talk about how they pass, pass on Justin Fields, but they made the trade for Sam Darnold. Yeah. So you can kind of understand the thought process. Last year's draft, they invested every pick in defense, and they're not done. They lost James Bradbury to the Giants in free agency um, two off seasons ago. So – JC Horn's coming in. He's going to be corner one from day one. I he was I had him above Patrick Sertain uh, in the corner rankings. He was my favorite corner, one of my favorite players in the draft. And I, I, in the in the tweet I mentioned, biggest alpha in the draft. You could see it, especially in the Auburn game, where he just made Seth Williams his son. He bullied him at the line of scrimmage, and Seth Williams is not a small man. Yeah, what do you go sixth round? Yeah, Seth or seventh. Seth Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. and <laughs> 6'3", 220, getting bullied by J.C. Horn. 
He is at his best impressed, man. That's why him going to Carolina is perfect. The Panthers defensive coordinator is Phil Snow, who used to be Baylor's defensive coordinator. He loves to play attacking, blitzing football. And to do that, you need physical press man, man corners. JC Horn is, I, you mentioned the pro day, like he, he's an elite athlete. He's got the bloodlines. His, his, his combination of balance and physicality and ability to locate the football in phase and make a play is big time. And there are two, when I look at a corner, there are two different attitudes you want in a corner. One can be the very patient, the very calm, which is what I think Patrick Sertain is. And the other is the Jalen Ramsey, the Deion Sanders talk shit all day. That is JC Horn. Um, the other thing with him is some corners will play just one side. He moved all over as a matchup player. I mean, you throw on the Florida tape, he was covering Kyle Pitts at times, uh, which is the hardest man to cover in college football. And uh, between the Florida games, the Auburn game, like you, you can just see how much talent there is in this kid and how much he wants it. That's why I think he, him going eighth is a slam dunk in terms of his ceiling is ridiculously high, but his floor is really high too, because he's got that love for the game. And you can see it the way he plays football and he's not the, you'll find corners who aren't loving the idea of getting downhill against the run and being forced players on the outside. He's just such an MFer that you can see it every snap. He is looking to kill someone. I absolutely love him. I love the fit. Um, I think that's a big part of the NFL draft process is making sure guys end up in the right scheme with the right team. Uh, I think this is probably the ideal situation for JC Horn, both in terms of the scheme. And I just think Matt rules building something in Carolina. And and this is kind of going to be the, the face of a defense that is really young, but really talented. Yeah, and you talk about the mentality, too. I'm sure it helps growing up, obviously, in an NFL family, you know, with, with Joe Horn being his dad. Like he kind of knows the deal, right? He knows what the league yes. is all about and what it's going to take to be a great pro and not just a great college player. Who do you who do you compare him to as far as, like, a player comparison of a guy currently in the league? I, I look at Marlon Humphrey on the Ravens uh, as, a, as a good comparison because Marlon Humphrey, um, first of all, was one of the most physical corners I have ever seen play college football uh, when he was at Alabama. Um, he comes in the league and he moves around and does whatever Baltimore needs him to do. He'll play, he, he started out playing on the outside. He's moved in nickel at times. He can cover tight ends. He's built like a safety essentially. Uh, and just an elite explosive twitchy athlete. I think that for me is the spot on comparison. All right, let's move into Ernest Jones, Rob, because Ernest Jones, a guy linebacker taken third round 103rd overall by the LA Rams and a guy that, you know, when I when I talk about this guy, the first thing I always say is just the heart and soul of the Gamecocks defense. A guy that led this team in tackles, you know, even when things weren't going well, because there were a lot of times under Will Muschamp and his previous regime where things did not go well defensively. I mean, you literally think last year there was a three-game stretch where Salcombe gave up 159 points in three weeks. But Ernest Jones, I feel like, was always that guy week after week after week. A lunch pail type of player. Shows up to play can go sideline to sideline, a big physical middle linebacker. I'm going to read your grade for him. Um, For the Rams, it says, two reaches for the Rams. Jones is a thumper who lacks ideal range for the NFL, can get exposed in coverage. Physical old school style, looked like a day three depth guy. Grade overall, a D, which, hey, you know what I love is you're going to be honest about this. You're not just going to give everybody an A. 
Um, so I like Ernest Jones in the sense of, like I said, I feel like he's a guy, he's going to be a great organizational guy, going to show up with the right attitude. You know, he plays football the right way, puts his heart and soul into it. Like we said, there's guys who love the game and love what the game can do for them. I think Ernest Jones is a guy, just from what I see him on the field, this dude loves the game of football and has an incredible motor. But talk about the pick. What do you like? What do you dislike? What do you see about, you know, from a guy, Ernest Jones at the next level? So I think you you really hit the nail on the head with your description of Ernest Jones. That all shows through on his tape. He is a balls to the wall type run defender. He is, I think, 30 years ago, Ernest Jones' skill set would be ideal for the NFL. Um, he's he's explosive downhill. My my main worry with him is just in the past happy NFL. He is not the most fluid cover man. Um, he, he looks okay at times in zone. He can't really match up. So I, I do worry he could get exposed in coverage. That That's the main thing for me, especially with a position like linebacker, because it's not, not the same way running back has been devalued. But if you were to pick a position on defense that's been devalued, it is linebacker. Right. And if you don't have that freaky cover man, it can be a problem. On the plus side, he has ended up in a situation that I really like. I think I, I like the fit more than the pick, but what the Rams like in inside linebackers is exactly how you described Ernest Jones. He is a always active, always looking to knock ahead type inside linebacker. Micah Kaiser, who's already on the roster, is actually my comparison for Ernest Jones. Um, and I think Ernest Jones has a really good chance to find playing time early because the Rams need more of an alpha at uh, at middle linebacker. And that is kind of what Ernest Jones brings. Another plus is the Rams have a fantastic defense. Um, obviously, Aaron Donald, um, Jalen Ramsey. I think Ernest Jones has a really good opportunity to be a very impactful run defender early and often in his career. Uh, again, I do worry about the cover stuff. And that's kind of why I dinged the grade. I thought he was more of a um, like fifth round ish uh, is kind of where I had him. But if if he he could live up to the pick because the fit is ideal, um, I do kind of want to see him how they use him in, in clear passing downs. I wonder if he'll come off the field earlier in his career because it's it's not for a lack of understanding. Like he is an instinctual linebacker. He's got good eyes in zone. It's just more about the overall fluidity. Cause again, downhill athlete, but not the best back, like back pedal, not the best. And, and the league has become such a pass heavy. Exactly. League. Yeah. You can't cover and pass coverage. It's, you know, it's not tough. nearly as valuable as you once were, but he will carve out a role for sure on, on rundowns early on. I, and again, I think he's got a great opportunity to play a ton of football early on in his career. Uh, and this is a really good spot for him. So I, I think it, it's hard to, because my, is with my tweets, for example, I'm basically just grading where the prospect is in terms of where they should have been. Right. I, it's not really factoring fit in mm -hmm. and every, like I'm evaluating every player for just a broad, in a broad sense where the right. NFL teams are evaluating how they fit in their scheme. And, if I were to look at it for fit, this is an A fit. Mm, for sure. Now, once you get into day three and you get into rounds five, six, seven, we start getting into steel territory, right? Where it's like, man, how did this guy fall that far? And, you know, that's the case, I think, with the next guy we're going to talk about. Because Saturday afternoon, of course, Gamecocks had a doubleheader in baseball. I'm sitting there watching. But, of course, had an eye on the NFL draft. 
because we had a couple of guys, Shai Smith, Israel McQuamu, and Sedarius Hutcherson were really the three. I'm like, okay, they're, they're going to go today. And we kept waiting, and we kept waiting, and we kept waiting. And you started thinking to yourself, my God, how has Shai Smith not gotten picked yet? Shai Smith goes, though, finally, sixth round, the 204th pick overall to who else but the Carolina Panthers. Again, they should just call them the University of South Carolina Panthers. Either way, though, Panthers pick up Shai Smith. And again, everybody, all Gamecock fans at least are saying, this is a steal. This dude is going to flourish at the next level. And I, I tend to agree. I think he's going to be a really, really nice slot guy at the next level. But you said, can't believe he fell so far. But cool, he stays home. Nasty release repertoire, absurd body control, and 50-50 ability for a small guy and nasty yarder per catch. He's a steal and one of the feistiest in the class. You gave him the grade overall, an A-plus grade. So you love the pick. Talk about Shai Smith, what you like, what you see from him, and again, him translating into the next level in that Panthers offense. Shai Smith's one of my favorite players to watch in this class. I love a guy who just plays angry, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because you don't see that necessarily as much. You you throw on Shai Smith tape, and he is fighting like, okay, he's 5'9", 186. Obviously, he's, he's a slot receiver. But he fights and attacks the football like he's 6'5". His contested catch ability for a smaller guy is wild. And I mentioned the body control in the tweet. You can see throughout his career at South Carolina, him making just jaw-dropping grabs, and that comes down to body control. And now it, there will be concentration drops from time to time, um, but I'm not super, super worried about that. And he tested fairly well. I think He actually ran a little faster than I was expecting. He ran a 4.46. Um, cause a lot of the time he creates separation through beautiful route running through his release. He can win off the line of scrimmage immediately. And, and the release for a receiver is one of the more underrated pieces, um, because I think everyone's just not paying attention to what happens right off the bat, but he's got a deep repertoire in, in terms of he, he can beat, he's not big, but he can beat press man coverage because his feet are so sweet. He knows how to set up a route. He stems routes unbelievably. And then in, he, what he does, as a, again, as a smaller guy, he blocks his ass off, despite a lot of receivers who don't love to do that, and despite his size. He's kind of got – I mean, that's three South Carolina prospects in a row where I'm going to say they're kind of alphas. They've got the mentality you look for in a pro football player. They play the game like they love the game. Um, and I part of the reason I think he slid is because this draft in general was really deep with slot receivers – so I think some teams were waiting because there were just so many they, that they could address other positions and know for Carolina, for example, to come back in the sixth round and get a guy who I think is going to maybe not right away, but I think he's going to be a, a starter at some point. They have Robbie Anderson. They have DJ Moore. They draft Terrace Marshall. So he's going to – there's not going to be a ton of pressure for him to impact the, the game early on, but I think he finds himself as that fourth receiver. Uh, Joe Brady, obviously the former LSU OC – runs a pretty wide open offense that he loves to go four and five wide. So I think Shai Smith's going to be a really nice piece inside opposite DJ Moore pretty early in his career. And a guy who I think I would bet on him playing 10 years in the league strictly because of the way he attacks football. Yeah. Smith's in Carolina seem to do pretty well. This is a side note, by the way, because we've, we've talked about the Panthers a lot. And I think I know there's a lot of my fans that are tuned in that are also Panthers fans, right? Just regional. It just makes sense. Um, with, with the Panthers, were you surprised they didn't go Justin Fields? And are you kind of surprised? There? I guess they're sort of hitching their wagon to Sam Darnold, right? Is that 
Does that surprise you at all? Um, I, I, I guess I, after they gave up so much for Sam Darnold, I wasn't totally surprised that they pass on Justin Fields. Now I would have taken Justin Fields. Uh, when you're, when I would have taken him too. I, I, I like Justin Fields. I, you know, again, I, I'm not even saying that from like, I've studied his tape. I just, I saw what he did to Clemson's defense and I'm like, yeah, that's a baller. And uh, I, I think part of the problem is the NFL, especially front offices, are very much when they watched Sam Darnold three years ago uh, coming out of USC, they thought this guy has it. You get three years of him struggling in New York, and there's all kinds of excuses. He also played for the Jets. I mean, it's true. And I do think he's in a far better situation. If he is going to succeed, it will be here. Right. But it's hard to throw out the last three years of tape and justify passing on a guy like Justin Fields to do that. But I do appreciate that you can kind of see Carolina's plan between Mm -hmm. this draft, last year's draft. It's to get like star players on that defense and bring the offense over kind of slowly. You got to have somebody to help CMC. I mean, they just, they, I think they put way too much on him at least the last couple of years. Yeah. It's, it's not realistic like okay, he is obviously an incredible running right, back. But it's right. Not realistic to be giving him 400 touches every year and expect him to hold up for a decade, right? Like, yeah. he can run for a thousand yards. He he can have a thousand yards receiving in the same season. Incredible player, but you have to give him a break. Or, I mean, we saw what happened this past season. The injuries right. kind of unraveled the season right. for him. And yeah, I, I don't love Sam Darnold. I think this is. If, if he is going to succeed, it will be right. now because I think Joe Brady runs an offense that fits what Darnold does well. And I think that they have tons of wide receivers around him that can make plays uh, and obviously CMC. Well, like you said, it's one of those things where we're going to find out, was it the Jets or was it Darnold? You know what I mean? Like, there's, no, there's no excuse now to not have at least a little more success than exactly. you had in New York. Well, let's move to the final pick for the Gamecocks in this 2021 NFL draft, Rob. And that is – Israel McQuamu, sixth round, 227th overall to the Dallas Cowboys. And I want to read off what you said about that pick and what you said about Izzy. Ridiculous length for a corner could be a safety. Ball skills are pretty sweet and has loose hips for his size. Better in zone, feet and balance issue in man. Not the twitchiest and has speed concerns. Cowboys embracing long Seahawky cornerbacks. And you've gave the gray to B. And I, I agree with your assessment, by the way. You know, again, I talked about J.C. Horn's um, career in Columbia. And, and listen, fans are tough, especially on defensive backs. And Israel McQuamu is no exception to that. There were, you know, great highlight moments where, you know, three interceptions against Jake Fromm. Really, that was the game that put him on the map, that three-pick day in Athens. And there were other times you watched Israel McQuamu and you're like, maybe he should have come back for another year. Could he have used a year development in college? But either way, he goes sixth-round pick to the Cowboys, Talk about this pick again. You just don't find a lot of defensive backs built like Israel McQuamu, six foot four. And I think I heard him talking on the ESPN coverage. I mean, he's got the arm length of an offensive lineman. Like this dude is, he is the definition of long. He's the definition of length. What do you see in Israel McQuamu, the pick overall, the fit to the Cowboys? And how do you see him projecting? Because again, I think he's such an interesting prospect with just his size alone. So I was. I thought he might go a little bit earlier than the sixth round, mainly because, again, you don't find corners that are 6'4". Like, that's a – it's hard to find corners that are 6'2". 6'4 is insane. Mm. And if you look at his 10 best plays in his South Carolina career, you can you, – you, you think this is this is a dude. Right. His Georgia game, 
is ridiculous the yeah. game that you get really excited about. But one then, of the most that was probably the most dominating performance from a Gamecocks defender I've seen since Jadavion Clowney. I mean, where he yeah. single handedly just took over the football game. And I remember draft Twitter being a buzz when that happened because, again, you get excited when you see a 6'4 corner making those types of plays. And like you said, he has that – he moves like a six-foot corner. Doesn't yeah. move like – you know, yeah. That, and that, that's kind of the, the big plus with him is a lot of the time when you find a corner that long, their big issue is they're really tight. He's loose. He's got, he's got smooth hips for a 6'4 corner. He's got really good ball skills. He is at his best in zone – where, where he's not needing to rely nearly as much on clean footwork and closing speed because he he's not the twitchiest athlete. He's a smooth athlete, but he's not J.C. Horn twitchy with that click and close. Um, I really like that he ended up in Dallas. Dallas clearly went into this draft wanting to address defense. They brought Dan Quinn in as defensive coordinator, who was the Seahawks defensive coordinator about a decade ago. And in Seattle, they obviously made the trend of getting these huge corners. They have Richard Sherman. They have Brandon Browner. So they they go into this draft. They draft three corners, and they already had Trevon Diggs on the roster. They draft Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky, SEC guy. They, they draft um, uh, Nashawn Wright from Oregon State, who's also 6'4", and then they draft Israel. That's two 6'4 corners in one draft, which is crazy. Um, and I, I, a good thing about this is I think he'll have the opportunity to really take his time, time and develop and work on the technique because in this scheme, if he is going to succeed, it will be in this, this heavy cover one, cover three scheme. Uh, he is at his best in cover three um, when he can just sit back, keep his eyes on the quarterback and, and play the ball. Um, the other thing I am wondering is if they drafted him with the thought that he could be a safety uh, because mm-hmm. he's fluid enough and rangy enough. And with that size, when he can just sit back, be patient and keep his eyes on the quarterback, he's at his best. Mm-hmm. So if that's the plan, that would make a lot of sense to me because they didn't really address their safety needs in this class. And they drafted two corners before him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering <laughs> if that's kind of the plan with him. For sure. Now, I, I don't want to leave the show without talking about and showing some love to the undrafted free agents. Because, again, it, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's – I actually saw a quote, I think, this morning, and I forget who – maybe it was Bill Polian, I think, maybe said it. But he basically said, you know, rounds one through three are easy. It's rounds four through seven where you build a Super Bowl champion. Like, that's that's where you you really pick the guys that make the difference. You know, anybody can pick a first rounder, right? It's whatever. Those guys stand out. But it's those those – those fits, like you mentioned, those guys you get in rounds four through seven, even undrafted free agents. Some guys, they, well, I mean, there's plenty of them around the league. I think uh, is was Adam Thielen, I think, one the receiver for the Vikings. Like he was an undrafted free agent, right? Now he's one of the best players in the league. Like it happens. So I want to mention these guys for sure. You had Sedarius Hutcherson, who signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks, who I thought was actually going to be drafted. Adam Prentice, uh, who was in Columbia for a year with the Denver Bron- Denver Broncos, and then Colin Hill. Boy, his. His career at Carolina and Gamecock fans. I don't know if you've seen my Twitter, but it, it's just nuts how they feel about him. He's, <laughs> he signs with the Cincinnati Bengals again. You don't have to go quite as in-depth on each of these individual guys, but is there anything that stands out to you? Probably most with Sidarius Hutcherson. I really thought, you know, the way he had, the, you know, at the pro day, the numbers he put up on the bench, big, strong, physical guy, was really good on the offensive line for South Carolina. I was a little bit surprised he wasn't taken, but just your overall thoughts on those three guys coming from South Carolina as undrafted free agents. I am shocked Sidarius Hutcherson didn't get picked late day three. 
Um, mainly because, yeah, you mentioned the pro day. He blew up the pro day. And I don't think people were necessarily expecting those speed and agility numbers to be what they were. Everyone knows he is a mammoth of a man. So <laughs> seeing him throw up 35 reps on bench, not shocking. Uh, I love that he ends up in Tampa where they've got a solidified offensive line. Um, he, I think, can be a depth swing interior guy for them. He played tackle three years ago at Carolina, I want to say, and then obviously was at his best as a left guard. He is so powerful at the point of attack, really good run mauling um, power guard. And the, the things that you want to see him do better have, have, have to do with pass protection in terms of I want to see him play with a with better bend, a stronger base. He's got the anchor to kind of anchor down against power guys, but he can he can struggle a little bit more with quicker uh, interior rushers because his lateral agility and feet can get a little wonky. But I I am when you you see a guy who started multiple years in the SEC, played guard and tackle, blew up his pro day, and has good tape. You you generally that guy gets drafted. So to see him go undrafted was pretty surprising to me. I think he's going to – he's definitely going to stay. It might not be in Tampa, but I think he's going to find an NFL home at some point. And a lot of the time, you, you mentioned the day, late day three undrafted guys. Those guys who stick out are the guys like Sedarius Hutcherson who played big-time SEC football, who have all the, the physical tools you look for, and it's just the technique things. And once you get some NFL coaching for him, I, I think he, he definitely will carve out a career. Um, with Colin Hill, I'm, I'm a little surprised he got signed so quickly by Cincy. Um, I think to be honest, he's just going to be a camp arm. You throw on his Colorado state tape and you can, you can kind of, maybe this guy could play in Canada. And then you see what happens in in South Carolina. Uh, I appreciate his hair and beard combo, but I, I don't think he quite has the NFL tools. Um, I, I think, yeah, just kind of a camp arm. You bring in a right. bunch of college quarterbacks um, mm. just to have extra arms in there. Mm. Uh, and then Prentice is kind of interesting because he played a lot of special teams between Colorado and South Carolina, and that's what you need in the fullback these days because mm. fullbacks can't really – they don't impact the offense very much right. unless they're a very specific <clears throat> skill set. Mm. So I, it might not be in Denver – but he's got a chance if he can ball out on special teams to kind of stick around in the NFL for a bit, or at least be on, on some training camps in different training camps and maybe preseason rosters. For sure. No, it, it was so funny with the Colin Hill reaction people. <laughs> I mean, you know, the quarterback position, obviously, especially in the sec is, is highly scrutinized. And that, that was certainly, certainly uh, no exception for, for Colin Hill. I, I'm curious, Rob, again, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this. So the 2021 draft is officially in the books. When do you start prospecting? When do you start watching film for the 2022 guys now? Like, when does that happen for you? Well, so for for this class, I finished up my big board a couple days ago. And I finished it, and I was just, like, kind of sitting there. I was like, I don't know what to do now. So then I, I started watching some Spencer Rattler tape for 2022. Uh, I'm probably actually going to spend the rest of today looking at some of the bigger names, kind of gauge how, how they look. I like to get in on the quarterback class early, um, especially having a good idea of these prospects for when the college football season actually starts is always a plus and kind of getting through as many guys as I can early on is always good. I'll ask you before I let you go, looking at South Carolina for the 2022 class, I'll be honest, I don't know that there's really a lot of guys that stand out, maybe a J.J. Nigbare 
maybe a Zach Pickens? I mean, is there anybody from South Carolina that stood out to you at all that could be a prospect for 2022? I am very excited about Kevin Harris if if he were to declare. Um, good point. He could declare. You are correct. That is a good point. Um, he, he's, I mean, he's a kind of a, just a rugged, another guy who just plays football really hard. And I'm, I'm always going to fall for those types of guys. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was the best part about, I think, watching South Carolina at times last year. Um, just, uh, his contact balance, but he's got the burst to rip off big runs. I'm pretty excited about him. I also am interested in Nick Muse who opted to return. And he's, he's a guy who at times last year, uh, it wasn't a deep tight end class this year. And he was a name that was kind of creating some buzz in the draft community as maybe a day three kind of developmental guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, but I, I mean, Pickens is really interesting too. Just when, when, you, when you see a guy that big with that type of athletic skill, <clears throat> you can kind of start projecting that, maybe a breakout season's coming this year. And uh, so that that's definitely a name to watch. I mean, South Carolina's got a – South Carolina puts guys in the NFL every year, and I'm – I'm they're, they're – I, I used to go to um, – obviously, I'm from Canada, but I used to go to Myrtle Beach um, back in the day every kind of March break or whatever. And uh, so I, I have a bit of a soft spot for, for the Gamecocks. Love to hear that. We love to hear that, Rob. That's why we had you on the show. Rob Paul, again <laughs> – a.k.a. Bobby Football, Seven Rounds in Heaven. I appreciate you doing this, man. Tell us about Seven Rounds in Heaven, the show, you know, what it's about, obviously, and where people can find you. I'd love for you to plug the show real quick. We're on all the platforms you can get your podcast. Um, It's NFL draft content year-round. So if you love football, you're going to love this show, bottom line. Yeah. We're, we're, we we really get into the prospects early. Over the summer, we go through each conference and talk about the guys who we're interested in for the next, the upcoming draft. During the season, it's a lot of looking at the college football season from the draft view, who's impressing us each week, who to get excited about. And then obviously right now is like the big time. We're going to start grading everything, even though you never really know if a guy's good until three years into his career. So the grades are a little bit meaningless, but it's still fun to talk about it. For sure. Rob, again, he's he's Bobby Football on Twitter. Make sure to follow him for sure, too. The Twitter feed is excellent. It's amazing. And, again, we'll be counting down the days till the uh, the 2022 draft. Rob, seriously, man, I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you doing this. Keep up the great work, and let's talk again soon for sure. Thanks for having me. Go Cox. Go Cox, indeed. He's Rob Paul. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.